everybody and welcome back to we bought a mic the boys are back on zoom Mm -hmm. it's uh a covid wasteland in florida like like i have i have a fiance she's beautiful but she's dying of covid i thought she was doing better (laughs) she's gonna do that she's gonna make it she's gonna be okay the is she is she okay? Seriously? I yeah, no, I good. no, she's she's doing good. I just wanted yeah. to do. I think you should leave. But um, no, oh, uh, oh, knock on some wood. I think that uh, I think that uh, she's gonna she's she's gonna be okay. Get vaxxed, people. If you hey, if you get COVID and you're vac- vaccinated, you'll that's be fine. Thing. She is uh, like not doing uh, ideal, less than one hundred percent right now, but. It would be a lot worse if she was not vaccinated. And hey, look at me. Somehow we've lived together and I have not, again, knocking on wood, gotten COVID yet. So. Oh, you're with her right now? I thought that you were still trying to escape Afghanistan. I thought you were trying to rush out of Kabul real quick while the Taliban takes over. Do something with that, Hunter. Hunter, do something. (laughs) Not where you're at right now? Hunter. Yeah, as you can see... uh, the connection might live. be a little spotty here from where I am. Welcome to the show. I'm Ernest. <laughs> I'm uh I'm just I'm I'm Zoom Hunter today. I don't I, I can't. <laughs> you got me on my toes there. I'm like backpedaling from us bit. And I'm Salad Drew. And I want to ask you more about Afghanistan, Hunter. Um <laughs> mainly why? And what did you accomplish? Well, here's the thing is I just think that we had a lot of unfinished business there. Like I, I really, I always said that W would have gotten a third term if it was my way. Um, right. You mean, you mean business like literally like, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Like I had a lot of meetings to attend there. Like I, so I'm working with a very small startup. I can't pronounce what the name of it is. Um, or I can't say, uh, but <laughs> if I were to, disclose any other information i might be uh shot on site but yes i am uh working with the company i listeners of the show remember lord of war um i'm actually i'm actually working directly oh you're yuri orlov you're who the character was based on yeah yeah so that's the thing here is that i i actually see a lot of myself in bullets um can I yeah. be your dumb fucking brother can yeah. i be can you just Jared talk Leto? about how much you love borscht you're, you're the real reason why that the Afghanistan war wasn't a failure. If you're looking at just the plain economics of it, it was actually a great success. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, these potatoes are reminding me of the homeland. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> Dude, the homeland is fucking Venice Beach, bro. You know what I'm talking about? So... We got I, some uh, and I, some ketchup. It's a ketchup app, if you couldn't tell. Honestly, I think our regular apps probably start this disorganized as well anyway. You know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. We there, There's no solution. <laughs> no one has figured this out yet. Yeah, nobody. I like I'll, every time that I try to listen to a podcast, I'm like, where's the banter? Why, why are we just getting right into the action? Like, where's the foreplay for this podcast? Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to give to you guys. We're all trying to find out who did this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking so of which. Clearly your car. Speaking of which, the Suicide Squad. Speaking of killing, wanting to kill myself. <laughs> Did you not like this? I have. I didn't see the Suicide Squad, the new one. Did you not like it? 
Um, real, real quick before we get into it, just a little bit of table setting here. We're going to, we have a list of ketchup items that we're going to get to, but it turns out that the next two weeks or so are pretty clear in terms of, uh, noteworthy new stuff coming out. So we have a backlog of things that we haven't talked about while we did Nick Cage. So we have plenty of time to dig into a lot of these things. So hopefully, um, you know, over the, the course of this podcast and the couple coming up in the following weeks, we will cover everything that we didn't cover while we were talking cage. So the first thing um, we're going to try to split off the conversation into new movies and television. So the latter half will include, I think you should leave and some other uh, great new TV. Uh, but this first some great section, old TV, some well, or some okay old TV. <laughs> yeah, or we'll some bad some. old TV. <laughs> yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly, really, is this, exactly. The theme of this yeah. So, um, so I, I guess we're starting a little ugly with yeah. the Suicide Squad. We're starting um, a little bit epic, if you will. Um, yeah. So, listeners of the pod will remember uh, last week, we I was feverishly trying to end the podcast so I could go see an eleven ten p.m. showing of the Suicide Squad on Thursday. Which, night. which is, by the way, that's on you. You didn't have to do that. Look, I just, you know, I love my uh, pre-COVID wife um, and just wanted to go see a nice James Gunn flick together. Um, I'll, I'll see, I'm interested to know what you think, Ernest, because the reception has been really good for this movie, despite the fact that it bombed in it bombed at the box office comparatively to what people yeah. were thinking. Part of that is because of the HBO Max thing. Part of it is because of the Delta variant. There's a variety of factors behind this. Also, part of it is just the- that it's a... It's an R-rated superhero movie, so it's not going to perform as well. And the, the first Suicide Squad movie was maligned by pretty much everybody. Well, yeah, so. no, you say that, but it had a lot of fans. Like, Dude, not, not Heathens, good ones. Heathens by 21 Pilots? It did money. It did money, but did people walk away from it? A lot died? of... Ernie, not people that like we talk to, but like millions of people absolutely loved that mm-hmm. movie. They went, they dressed up as Harley Quinn for Halloween. It was epic. Yada, yada. Yeah. There is suckers for pain. So yeah. in, in comes James Gunn, freshly fired from Guardians 3 for his uh, in bad taste trauma days jokes on Twitter. And um, he gets this gig to reboot Suicide Squad. And he's writing and directing. And I think it comes out at an interesting time for DC because they kind of need the James Gunn uh, injection. You know, I mean, we've had some some solid DC entries like Shazam and, you know, Aquaman for, you know, whatever that's worth. Um, But we've known DC to be like the the serious, the dark and gritty and serious type of approach as opposed to the zany marble so they bring in james gunn over from marvel to be like all right man help us out help us out over here we need to we need a a hired gun if you will um and it's the suicide squad no suicide squad colon no suicide squad two and uh it takes people by storm a little bit people seem to be really digging this movie and I agree with some of the sentiments. I think that this movie has parts of it that I love so much 
but other parts kind of rub me the long, the wrong way. I don't, I'm not a fan of how violent this movie is. It was um, too violent because to me, it seems like a lot of the violence in this movie is just to shock and try to be the button of a joke. A lot of the jokes are like, Oh, this is how we're going to kill this character. Isn't that funny? Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2, but this kind of makes Deadpool look like nothing. Like, this is so much more violent and extreme than Deadpool. Mm -hmm. So this kind of makes Deadpool look tame in comparison. Well, I mean, this is this actually has like something to say, whether or not you like it or not. Thematically, emotionally, like you actually connect to a lot of these characters. Has fucking nothing to say about anything. It just has like, dude, freaking everything is like epically sucks, dude. Like that's what Deadpool is. And that's why it's bad. Um, But no, the thing is, like, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I think that this movie like really sings when it's just James Gunn doing James Gunn shit. Like nobody is able to write great quips like James Gunn is. And like the, but this is a different kind of James Gunn than we saw in guardians. This is the kind of James Gunn that I think he was when he was just starting his career, you know, putting shocking imagery on the screen to like really make you sit back and kind of, I don't know, but I kind of look away a little bit. Like there were some moments like, in this movie where I was like, slither to it. <laughs> this is hard to watch, dude. Like I, we, we I, talked recently even about how even the movie super, which is like a lower budget indie action comedy has some very disturbing moments in it. So that's not surprising to me. He mm-hmm. like has that in him. We just know him for things that don't allow that. But I mean, they're in, I so I see part of where you're coming from, part of where what you're talking about, Ernest, I do agree with where it just seemed like it was like it's violence for the sake of violence. Like it's violence, like not trying to be artistic or any way and not trying to like say anything to push the story forward. There are certain directorial flourishes that he uses with the violence. There's one scene in particular with Harley Quinn. Uh, where she's walking down the hallway, just mowing dudes down, and like the blood looks like a turns comic into book. flowers and everything around her, and it's fucking beautiful. Like that's so good. And I mean, by the, that's just Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Just once again, is the greatest thing that DC, this DCEU has brought us. Is she's the one shining bright object in a lot of mediocre projects mediocre to bad projects because she's so in touch with what this character is so Um, you you saw us in a theater you said how full was the crowd um there was uh me uh my fiance and our roommate and i believe two other people in the theater oh okay it was was a it was an 11 p.m showing on a thursday night before but because i I, I think that I would have liked this movie more if I hadn't seen it at home on HBO Max. I just kind of put it on. My girlfriend fell asleep. It was not her vibe. And I just kind of watched it by myself. And I feel like this is like a seven out of 10 for me. And if I would have seen it with a crowd, it would have been closer to like an eight or a nine. Okay, so you, I mean, if, if you're saying it's a seven, that doesn't mean you liked it. No, I, I, I appreciate so many parts of it that I can't did you, deny. It. Did you like it? 
answer the question. Some of it, yeah. I'll say a lot I of it, it, yeah. I'll, 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 <gasps> I'll say that I liked it. And I, I do recommend seeing it. The thing is that I think the first two thirds of it are really fun. Like the first two thirds of the movie are really fun. They really sing. There's some parts that the you can opening like is incredible. With. Yeah, where it just kind of fakes you out with the with the other the 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 fake Suicide Squad. Yeah, the fake <laughs> really squad. Good. You get so invested, and then it just like they all die immediately. Like that is so great fucking bit. cool to now start your movie like that. It's really cool that. But then the thing is. The third act of this movie, it just kind of becomes a generic superhero movie. I loved the starfish. Incredible. Yeah. It it is so incredible what they did with that fucking giant starfish. And the way, I mean, I'm just going to spoil it here because a a lot of people either don't care if I've seen this movie. The way it climaxes with a fucking horde of rats killing this starfish. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Dude, in my life. I love Ratcatcher too. I love Ratcatcher too. I um, I was very uh, upset and grossed out, and I think that was the point, you know, to see like close-ups of these rats like eating away at the cornea of this giant eyeball in bloody, bloody detail. I all I could think about was like, huh, James Gunn really got Warner Brothers to pay him over 200 million dollars to make a trauma movie like this is how this guy started his career just making upsetting shocking imagery on screen with trauma and now this is what he's doing on the grandest possible scale and i gotta admire that even if it's not my cup of tea a lot of times because i just i was just like damn this is like too much for me like i'm about to throw up this is disgusting (laughs) look there is like there's some cool imagery like you're talking about and everything like that but um i just think that it becomes uh very generic in the third act like there is a shot which the next movie we're going to talk about has literally the exact same shot which i think that this is the new uh great big beam into the sky because uh, studios know that they can't write that anymore because it's being a meme. We now need to uh, stop where you are either in a a floating tower of some kind or a large building, and then the building has to fall over, and your characters have to run sideways up, and then they have to make big old jump to uh, land safely so that they don't fall to their doom. Because that's literally the the exact same shot happens in both this movie. And in the next movie, we're going to talk about Black Widow. Sick. Before, um, before Black Widow, the, oh, okay. I, yeah, I have, a, I have a general question about this movie. I didn't see the original, wasn't very interested in it. Me either. Um, it's bad. It's, it's truly like, I think that it is by a mile the worst thing that DC's ever made, and that's saying something. Um, so generally speaking, I think there's confusion around what this movie is in relation to that movie, because it's not a... a full reboot you it's like in the same universe it acknowledges the existence of that movie it contains it contains robbie does does it talk at all about like i don't know where that movie leaves the squad but this is a new squad it's a new squad except for uh margot robbie's harley quinn it like really joel kinnaman you could say that this is just because the way that it happens is the suicide squad. The whole idea of it is that they recruit prisoners who are like basically sentenced to like life sentences. Um, 
and have some kind of special ability to them. They recruit them in and say, hey, if you help us with this task, we'll take X amount of years off of your sentence. So theoretically, they could keep doing this over and over and over again. The reason yeah. why they did not name the Suicide Squad 2 or, or give this a hyphen or colon or anything else is because this is like a backdoor reboot. Like they're rebooting it all, but in exactly. official namesake because so the first one the, is so maligned. It's it's maligned, but that's still just like the first one was way more of a cultural phenomenon than this one will ever be. Like people will not are not talking about this movie, nor will they. Can I tell you something that somebody said to me that I just like I keep thinking about because I, I guess, you know, we we have a tendency as like people, as dudes with a podcast to like kind of think that everybody in society thinks the same way that we do. And you said something, Drew, about this becoming like the first one having so much more of an impact in the music and everything. Whenever I talk to somebody about the Suicide Squad, they were kind of mixed on it. And they were just like, well, the thing is like the music in this one is like so much worse than the first one. Like people love sucker for pain and heathens and well, the songs just like, themselves, but the, the way they're used in the movie matter. But I mean, people hear this and the thing is like, he actually had a criticism that did make sense. Even if I disagreed with the point, which was, he was just like the score for the suicide squad is, or the soundtrack is like, basically like a discard rack of guardians music. Like yeah. pretty much you can just kind of take the music and put it in a guardians movie, but it, doesn't it's not quite as good as any of the songs that fit so perfectly into the guardians movies yeah they were trying to rip off the yeah. thing and then they got the actual thing which is what i appreciate so much about this movie is that for better or worse it is a full-on james gunn movie kind of more so than guardians is because he has to adhere to the marvel formula yeah I, I i guess so i guess the answer to the question is the the powers that be at like DC sort of they realized that even though that movie did have impact, the brain trust that created that movie was not the one to trust with sequels. So they decided, yeah, like you said, they decided to soft reboot uh, despite the success of the original, just because it has a stink to it for sure, especially with the direction they're trying to go in. They're trying to be Marvel too. Yeah. Bring in Marvel and make it Marvel too. But R rated. That's the thing about this movie is that it does what Marvel can never do. There's a shot in this movie where a guy gets stabbed in the heart and the camera goes into his body and we get a close up of the heart being stabbed and it just takes up the whole screen, the CGI heart stab. And I that's what I'm saying is like, I admire the fuck out of this movie for having that. I had a I had a tough time looking at this on my TV. Very upsetting imagery. Quick question, Ernest, who uh, who is your favorite member of the squad? That's that's what I wanted to say. King Shark is my friend and I love him. Sylvester Stallone, who plays like. <laughs> just a fucking shark who has so i'm i'm interested hearing this it is it is i kind of like what i'm hearing so it is what james gunn did with rocket and groot you know these like kind of throwaway characters and it's kind of what he does in this whole movie all of the suza squad are just throwaway characters that he puts a heart into but it resonated the most 
with King Shark. And I think Ratcatcher is also a big part of that too. I got to give a shout out to Polka Dot Man. My guy, David Desnokian, who I've always loved this dude and stuff. Like he just plays fucking throwaway parts in The Dark Knight and in Blade Runner 2049 and in Prisoners and all these movies where he doesn't really get to do anything. But he just has like such an incredible face. He's like a writer. He doesn't yeah. choose to act. This might be the biggest role that he's ever done other than like being the third guy in the Ant-Man friend squad yeah. behind Michael Pena and T.I. Um, he's great. The whole thing with the mom, like him seeing his mom everywhere, the, the fact that they kept doing that and then paid it off with Starro. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but King Shark, man. Holy shit! Just the, yeah. the, Drew, the, check it out. It's 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 a good movie. I had a fun time watching this movie. Fun time. Yeah, good good to just put on. I think I think I would have enjoyed it more if I would have seen it with a crowd. But um, yeah, the the special effect of King Shark works perfectly. I think it's perfectly realized. He doesn't look like a walking cartoon character. Like you just buy it. You just buy mm. this like giant shark thing. Hey, uh, speaking of perfectly realized effects, um, I heard Black Widow is bad. <laughs> yeah, the effects are not the best part, I will say. Um, I did enjoy the movie. I think that Florence Pugh is the one that kind of runs away with it the most as far as like making this movie worth it. I think that the rest of the cast is also great in terms of like David Harbour and Rachel Weisz. They are serviceable. And of course, Scarlett, we've seen her before. She can do the role. Um, I think that the movie, my feelings on it are kind of similar to Suicide Squad in the sense of like, there are a lot of pieces that I love. Like, I think that Black Widow manages to um, kind of slow down and have like character moments with its characters where they just kind of sit and talk with each other. And those are the best parts, but overall it's not, it's not great. It's not great. It, it, it's weird because we've been conditioned and, and Hunter and I talked about this with Brett on our Loki episode, which you can check out on the feed, but we've been conditioned to watch a lot of these Marvel things, expecting it to tie into the other ones And so much of this Black Widow movie is kind of set to the past that it doesn't feel like it has much consequence in the larger story. So it ends up feeling a little bit, um, you know, kind of uh, disposable, even though it has certain scenes in it of real kind of emotion and, and connection with these characters. So it's, you know, it's a Marvel movie. People are, they're going to see it. You know, you have your own opinion of it already. I'm sure the, the black widow cycle has kind of come and gone. We're at the point now where like Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over yeah, the, the box office of, of this movie. Yes. That's sort of the most noise that the film has gotten is, is about the lawsuit regarding its release onto right. Disney plus. Yeah. Apparently they fucked her contract up by not giving her the non existent returns on the box office um, because there really wasn't any box office. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, not super interested in that legal battle. I'm sure that her suit has its merits. Uh, Well, not just for her, because they could use it. The thing that people are saying is that they could use it as precedent to get below the line people 
paid better, especially well, when you look at things like streaming, like just streaming in general, where there is no box office and they can't predicate any payment to anybody in the project based on a non-existing thing. So it could be like a monumental lawsuit for like the future of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, they're not alone with this. I know I, there was talks of John Krasinski also trying to having uh, possibly some legal beef with Paramount over quiet place part two, just because they shrunk the window for theatrical release for that movie to put that on its service. And he was not excited about that and was looking for other possible places to go there because almost every a or B list actor has something, some kind of clause in their contract that they get some back end based off of box office release. So it's, it's yeah, no, it, you're right. Uh, I don't want to shortchange this lawsuit because it is, it is a big deal. And it is interesting because like, that's one thing that Netflix in particular as like, you know, the figurehead of all streaming has really kept to itself is it's actual, numbers, it's yeah. actual viewership count. Um, which is what these, you know, payouts would be based off of. I think there, there's, I, I think there's just no way that that info doesn't become public, like relatively soon. Like, I feel like we're going to, yeah, like we're, we're going to end up knowing how many people are watching what, where, and I want to know. And so. I want to know, well, I want to know an actual number, not whenever Netflix says like 90 million people watched uh, five seconds of the first episode <laughs> of the Queen's Gambit. Cause I mean, we forced them to by yeah, auto playing it. Yeah, exactly. Like that, like I want to know a real genuine number of who, of people who, consciously clicked on something and watched a substantial amount of it but as for the movie itself black widow um you said that there were some good parts in it Ernest, and i do remember there being some good parts unfortunately i don't remember a single goddamn thing about that movie that movie evaporated from my brain almost immediately i was like florence Pugh is a star and then like Three days later, I was like, was there like a secret Black Widow task force that happened in that movie? Like it was just all a blur to me of anything specific that happened. And we talked about it on the Loki episode, but it was just because like it just kind of felt like a obligatory movie, like, a oh, yeah. uh, well, we weren't even planning on making this until we saw Wonder Woman was successful. So I guess we'll go ahead and we'll give Black Widow her own movie. Also, we <laughs> should have made this like four or five years ago. It should have come out right <laughs> after like right after Civil War. Yeah. That's when this movie makes sense to come out. That's when the movie is based on. But again, Disney, they'll never actually admit this, but this movie did not get greenlit until they found out that Wonder Woman made money. And they found out, oh, Turns out people will go to the movie theater to see a woman. And they they had to do some some reshuffling of certain executives too that were kind of uh, blackballing it. They had just greenlit the Pietro Maximoff Marvel movie and then they decided to table that one. (laughs) Yeah, tough look for Aaron Taylor Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. The the movie's fine. It's it's like the most generous six out of ten I could possibly give. I see for me, it's, it's a classic five out of 10 where, because I saw it and I was like, you know, that wasn't awful. Don't ask me to describe the plot of this movie to you. Please, please do not. I could not. I was upset that they didn't, that neither this movie nor F9 uh, utilized the Rina Sawayama songs, chosen family 
uh, which is just <laughs> yes. perfect choice for either one of these. Come on, give Rena some money. It's just perfectly utilized in either one of these movies. It would fit right in. I, I appreciated the attempts that this movie took to feel a little bit smaller, a little bit more grounded, a little bit less of like Thanos destroying the universe type of deal and just kind of telling a more, you know, kind of human spy sort of tale. Um, yeah, unfortunately like, it doesn't, it doesn't quite get there. She's but. dead. Like why? I like the idea. I like that in theory, but don't use that over a character who we already know is dead. Cause yeah. it's like, okay, so what, like, what am I watching this for? And I mean, like you said, this is to pave the way for Florence Pugh to take over as this role. And Hey, I'm excited for it. I fucking love Florence Pugh. I've sang the praises of Florence Pugh for years on this podcast. So Pew Pew, Pew, Pew Hive rise up. Yeah. Um, all right. As long as we're on the Disney train, let's keep moving to Luca, which uh, much like Soul was a Pixar direct to Disney Plus release. Definitely not as good as Soul, but I think that there's a lot of things to like about this movie. Um, Kind of like what I just said about Black Widow. I think that this movie actually manages to nail being small scale and inconsequential and it embraces being a little bit disposable by devoting long stretches of its runtime to like dream sequences and fantastical diversions. Um, and it doesn't really adhere to like having to tell a very simple plot of a fish boy trying to win a Vespa in a contest. That's really kind of what the movie's about. It's a little bit of an allegory for kind of being a closeted, queer, homosexual type of individual. <laughs> that was a really it's, it's weird Disney's, way to say that. It's Disney's Call Me By Your Name, some would say. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I mean, there's entire bits of this movie where the parents are trying to out the fish boy as a fish boy. And it is it seems very problematic the way they're going about it. I just trying to do it in front of everybody. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a cute little movie. Uh, I liked it a lot. And I want Pixar to do more kind of chill, laid back hangout kind of movies like this, because yeah. I, I found a lot to love about it. It looks beautiful. It's set in Italy, Amalfi Coast. And I couldn't, I couldn't get away from the, the, um, the, the, you know, the gay undertones. <laughs> I, I'm not quite as generous. I mean, I like this movie. I didn't love it. Um, there is a lot to love in here with the story. I love that they went small and, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see Pixar, like make a, you know, like a kid's movie since, they seem to be more, yeah, more soul is to do barely stuff that yeah soul is just like straight up not a movie for children like it's like oh cute we have these like cute little figures that we can keep in here to make it so kids will like be like oh pretty colors and pay attention but the parents are just crying in the corner um so in that case it's nice um the animation is good but one thing i was saying to um my fiance while watching this movie is like this movie gave me a greater appreciation for Finding Nemo yeah. um, just because Finding Nemo came out 20 years ago at this point, almost 20 years ago. And the water scenes in Finding Nemo, I think, look drastically better than they do in Luca. Yeah, but this movie is mainly set on land. 
Yeah. So I mean, it's, I, they're not focusing the movie on that part. That's fair. I mean, it, they, they're trying to, like, this is a bit more of a rounded cartoonish. Like you can just kind of look at the, the people like on the poster and everything. And they're trying to go for a little bit more of a rounded classical cartoonish look to it. So I don't entirely blame it on that. I'm yeah. It's a fun little movie. It's a good movie for the family. Luca Disney plus quiet place on Paramount plus quiet place Two, part two. Uh, but we did not see it on the streamers. No, we did see it. And we got theaters. a chance to see it Dumb in theaters. Movies. So this was one of the first back at the movies movies that we saw. Was this y'all's first movie back to the movies? Yeah, it was mine. No, remember we saw Nobody? Yeah, we did saw we saw Nobody. Nobody was fucking love Nobody, <laughs> dude. That movie kicks ass. Nobody might show up on our best of the t- best of the year list. Fucking love nobody so much. The movie brought it was elevated so much by being that like the movies. (laughs) We're fucking back. Like it's the it's the one movie that like would have just been fine if you just put it on at home, but we just saw it in a crowd after like being deprived, and we were just like, Oh my god, Bob Odenkirk just fucking kicks some fucking ass, man. Um, I wait. Quick sidebar, because then we can talk about Quiet Place Part Two. Do you guys know what my first Back to the Movies movie was this year? Um, uh, was I it not Nomadland? Because we also saw no, Nomadland this I year. I bet it's something no, bad. I, I'm talking. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like in a movie theater, like an actual theater auditorium seats, not one with your like spread out dining seats stuff like that. My return to an auditorium style theater was The Father, where I just like. <laughs> had a panic attack in the theater myself and one other dude who sat on the opposite (laughs) side. And afterwards we just like looked at each other like, damn man. Damn, he's really the father. Shit. You just can't get that experience at home of watching with just some guy. We're just some guy that we can just like look at each other. Like, damn, we're both fucked up after this. Um, But anyways, no, Quiet Place Part 2. This is a movie that it after seeing it, I will say it 100% makes sense why when Paramount was selling off some of their stuff to release earlier last year, they were like, this Top Gun, we are holding tight on. We are holding tight. This is a theater movie. And I'm glad that they did that because this movie, I think, is a lot more effective in the theater than it would have been at home. Of course. That's yeah. what Krasinski is trying to tell everybody. That's why he's running around the country like Forrest Gump. Like, he just shows up in <laughs> a theater in Miami. Please get vaccinated so you can come see my movie. <laughs> he's in Miami and it's like, dude, you were just in Phoenix. How did you get here so fast? And he, he's already gone when you try to, and, and like, as he's running away, he's like, it was a pleasure to visit the CIA to research for Jack Ryan. <laughs> really interesting stuff. Um, Quiet Place 2, I liked. Yeah, it's right? honestly on the same type of caliber as the original. Like, yeah. we walked away from it pretty satisfied, you know? Yeah, it, it, it expands... Uh, its own scale more than the first one, but it still doesn't become what what typically happens with sequels, where you get the full scale of what's going on. Like we zoom out and we get like a, a massive ensemble, and you know we see how the government is dealing with this crisis, etc. We don't get that, but we do get a lot more information, and we do get more characters. And like most sequels that do that, that 
the the more that we the more that we explore that the more the movie falters in my opinion but it's not nearly enough to ruin things for me like i it's it delivers on its like on its own insistence on existing yes because <laughs> because exactly. you know yeah because you know we all said going into it and afterward we were like well you know the first one ends perfectly if you're like a very you know if you're a very very smart uh chess playing career guy like krasinski because it ends in a satisfying way for that movie but it also ends as if to say sequel um and i didn't need a sequel i think i said it when we originally reviewed it i'd be fine with no sequel but i'm glad that we got this because it's another entertaining movie experience and like you know i i wasn't expecting to get a ton more than that out of it because you know this messaging wise like neither of these both of these movies are just family yeah which well more so the children right like i think that the the first one was more about the parents experiences raising the children that was kind of what the theme sort of circled around is like you know what do we do when we're trying to raise children in a world that's dying in a world that's fucked and this second movie is more about like from the children's perspective, learning how to grow up in this world. That's so yeah. Up. And I mean, they learned like, oh, okay. Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe are like actors. Like we can't yeah. trust them. They care. Where you, you can't really put that much faith into a child actor to carry your first movie because a lot of times that cannot work out so well. So. Yeah, they're yeah. That's a good point. They're both killer actors. Um, and uh, yeah, you are right that this another reason this I mean, we will just sort of get into spoilers, especially for the first one. But we delve less into the into the parental side because there is exactly half of the parents <laughs> to work with in this oh, movie. But we do insert uh, we, well, yeah. Murphy into that role, which, you know, uh, Emily Blunt, just would you trade out John Krasinski for Killian Murphy? Hey. I'll, I'll entertain <laughs> the notion. Yeah, I'm, yeah. If I'm her, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, um, why not? I mean, thinking about those eyes, but, thinking about that hair parted right down the middle so perfectly. Another key difference, though, between the two movies, which is wise, is this movie uh, we get straight into plot faster. The first movie does relatively quickly too, um, but it's a lot more measured because the first movie revels in letting you slowly figure out what's going on. Like it gives you like, like, you know, like 10 minutes of an opening scene where you're getting really slow info and then really like 30, 45 minutes of movie where like there are things happening, but we're mostly in one location. Um, And this movie, we already know the dealio and we start with a nice little flashback sequence, which I thought was really, really well done. And so well directed shades of spielberg like yeah it's yeah right it's it's spielbergy like it it feels like that more than anything in this movie could have been the big fuck up like that that i think is a high difficulty level thing to do to show us what we want to know the most which is like where did the why is this happening we still don't know the why uh because there is no why it's just aliens coming down and they hungry or whatever like you know what I mean? But we want to know like when, like when did this start? Like how did people deal? Blah, blah, blah. We get just enough of that. We don't get too much. Um, we get just enough table setting in terms of 
character because we know more from these characters not speaking than we probably would if they did speak. Um, we got to know them pretty well in the first one. Um, so we don't need to be reminded that we care about them, but it rules how he did it, man. Like I, I was, I was sort of blown away because I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted it. You know what I mean? Like you, you want to pass the marshmallow test, the delayed gratification test. You want to be like, no, I don't, I don't need to know. Um, because I'm scared that that scene would suck because it's the one scene where we're getting, you know, it's outside of this confined world. Like everyone's allowed to talk and be crazy and blah, blah, blah. I think that that part is the one section of the movie where you, you really have to suspend your disbelief the most, you know, because I think that the more you try to show of this world, the more questions that pop into your head as to how these things are happening and like what kind of access people have to resources and weapons and whatnot. That's the thing like that. Well, that's why I'm glad we didn't zoom out so far. Like we Mm -hmm. still stayed in this, this small, tiny little area because I don't want to, the government is around They're Like (laughs) to imagine just the earth being, this barren everywhere is wild um and they have sonar weapons like no, in I, our I reality we have police using sonar and, weapons and for, yeah. also forgive me if this has been uh trodden over in the movies but where's the internet Dead? i mean uh, you you have to believe that at some point enough electricity got knocked out that there wasn't enough to sustain like the network of towers and cables and whatnot yeah yeah that's fair it's just um what happened to bitcoin what's bitcoin looking like (laughs) in this world so a good time to buy low or it's quiet coin now yeah quiet coin oh yeah okay cool and also uh let's how about for the third one we introduce much like the show last man on earth did uh an astronaut character who (laughs) who is just like oh shit and then eventually has to meander their way back down to earth and let it be Jason Sudeikis, much like that. Come show on, let's did. bring Sudeikis in this. Yeah, Ted world. Lasso. Um, I well, I do have uh, some bad news for you guys, which is I think that that's the only place that Quiet Place Part Three can go is to go even wider in scale. Like I think that this is, I think maybe it won't go international, but I think that this is going to go wider. We know this. This is in what New York State? Is that is that right? I got a feeling that it was like somewhere in the blue ridge mountains like north carolina or I think that Virginia I looked it or up something I, I think that i saw that it was new york state is where it is they, like they live in like americaville usa yeah, like they're much. it's it's the most american like little mountain town it's going to get, where is the water is wider. that a lake or an ocean I don't know. Is that one of the Great Lakes? Are we in Minnesota right now? It's the Gulf of Mexico. (laughs) Who the fuck knows, man? (laughs) They're actually in Orlando, Florida. Um, (laughs) No, but this movie does do something that was one of the things that I remember at the time um, that I love so much was that it takes this kind of classic horror idea of the buildup before the jump scare and doesn't give you the really loud blam of like the music blasting in because the whole movie is so quiet that like, like the scene in which Emily Blunt is walking down the stairs and she steps on the nail and there's no music cue. There's no anything. And you just have to like, (gasps) 
like I'll never like that feeling whenever you're in the theater and seeing that moment that you're like gasping and like holding it in for her. Yeah, it's a very special directing ability that yeah. not many people can pull off that talent. Yeah, weaponizing and it's also, the quiet. Exactly. It's it's like forcing you to go beyond just empathizing and like you literally feel like you're participating by being quiet. You feel right. like you're helping them. Exactly. And like this movie still has a lot of that, but I do think that the changing of the scale does it separates it create you don't you don't empathize quite as much as you do in the first movie. Oh, um, definitely not. But 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 this movie does have Scoop McNary in it. And so that is one with major no lines that no, He's but he does have quiet. one scream. He does have one scream. He plays, I, I was losing my mind when uh, I saw it. Whenever him. we saw it in the theater, we're all three elbowing each other <laughs> so hard at the same time. How did we not know was in this? We would have, if we had stumbled upon that group, we would have died instantly because we would have been like, Scoot! <laughs> oh my god, Scoot! Yeah, I, get fucking trucked by an alien. I, I, I had so many questions about that group of people. Are they cannibals? Like, no, what's happening? they're fucking that kid. They want to fuck that yeah. kid. It's, I'm uh, sorry for being crass. That is that is the insinuation. It's insinuated for a little bit too long. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like a weirdly long set of shots in which he is like checking out Millicent and like sort of being like, ah, what am I going to do with her? You don't know. I don't know. I'm like, Scoot, I know what you're going to do with that kid. <laughs> I, I just got cannibal. I got cannibal vibes for some reason. Like that's, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they could, I'm sure that they, that's also on the table for these guys. <laughs> these people are like disgusting. They're like shanty town, like ghouls. I wanted to ask somebody else, just a regular like layman on the street, like what he thought about that scene, because just anytime I see Scoot, I get so excited and I forget that like 95% of people in this world have no idea who the fuck Scoot McNary That's is. They're generous. like, oh, is that the guy who uh, <laughs> is in the wheelchair in Batman vs. Superman and he get blown up? Like, that's what they know Scoot McNary from. Hell yeah, he guy. is, brother. 95% of the world. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least minimum. Um, I think 5% of the world has seen Hot and Catch Fire. That's our entire. That's a, hu- that's a huge hit. Look, 5%. yeah, that's, that's us. Everybody, there, there's a, all 5% of those listen to We Bought a Mic. So there's a stretch in this movie where it's like cutting between three different uh, locations. I think that it could have very easily fallen apart doing that where well, like most of the movie is almost doing that at least like over an act worth of the film is is just cross cuts between three different very tense scenarios it feels like magnolia almost yeah it's mm-hmm. very very well done like that was it one is. of the things i took away with the the most from this movie is how fucking good of a director krasinski is especially when he steps away from acting in the movie and he's basically just the director. Um, I think he nails it. I think he's so good at crafting these 10 sequences to the difficult degree where they're, you know, they could easily like step on each other's toes and derail each other and not inform each other in terms of like the buildup and the investment yeah. you have in each one of it, them. Exactly. If, if one of these plot lines, if you don't give a fuck about a single one of them, then the whole sequence sucks because right. you're, j- you're cross cutting and a third of the time you don't care. So you have to care reasonably about all three 
which is not that easy to do. And it's really well executed. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie's on Paramount Plus right now. We had a chance to see it in theaters and it ends up being one of the biggest successes of the pandemic era. I think it's second to uh, Black Widow yeah, in I terms was of just, like opening. Well, I was just looking oh, at F9. F9 made, is up there too. Yeah. Um, it has made $295 million worldwide. Yeah, that's a great domestic. Um, that's yeah. So it's that when you make that much money, then that makes it worth it holding on to it. You guys know what uh, the biggest worldwide box office it is? is I'm going to tell you right Widow? now. Well, you won't know. No, the Black Widow didn't do that great internationally. Oh, um, are, are you like talking about like all movies. of those Chinese movies? That yeah, there's like, two Chinese yeah, movies. Uh, there's there's one movie them. called Hi, Mom. That made eight hundred and twenty-two million dollars. Wow! Yeah. Um, Fast Nine is at uh, six eighty-one right now, so it has hey. already made more money than Hobbs and Shaw, even in a COVID box office. Let's go, baby! All right, so those are all the movies that we have time for today. We have a couple more on the docket that we'll get to in future catch-ups coming up. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit and talk TV. So, Drew, it looks like you have um, a little classic in here that you so, want to talk about. Yeah, before I dive into this uh, gem of a horrible show, have, have we talked at all about Pluto TV on the pod? I, it I, must have been so brought up the thing, at some point. I don't I feel like I have had to like I have said something about watching something on Pluto TV before. I have been singing the praises of Pluto okay. TV for fucking years. Hunter, and nobody has ever listened to me. So, so if you're like, guys, there's a channel devoted to like just every episode of Flavor of Love. Like it just <laughs> plays that on a loop for Hunter, all of time. I don't know. I feel like if you had explicitly said those words to me, I would have gotten on board. So <laughs> well, either way, if you're like me and you have trouble listening to Hunter all the time, um, you got to check out Pluto TV. I've complained for so many years that I miss the non-pressure situation of get, being able to just get home and just turn on the TV and something be on. Yeah, cable, the comfort. cable is worse than it even was when we were kids, and it was already pretty bad. Now uh, ads have taken over. Like it is a lot of programming on cable is just ads now. It's very, it's very yeah. sad to see. Mostly drugs. Mostly like pharmaceutical ads for like yeah, it's allergy really, medicine. It's yeah, it's really pared down to live events, ads, and then uh, syndication, and mm-hmm. that's a bummer uh, because I miss like I miss a reasonable amount of commercials. Like I miss having the uh, structured time to check my phone or like do something else uh, while watching something also, that's just, bad. Just the comfort of like flipping through channels. Exactly. It's it so, so listen, yes. listen, hear, hear me audience. Pluto TV is a free streaming service that you can get on any smart TV or device. And it has uh, dozens and dozens of channels and uh, there's no way to not get ads on this. It all like, it's always free and it always has ads and the channels are immaculate. The selection is so good. Not only are there things that are legitimately good, like there's a 70s cinema channel. There's like an action there's, movies there's channel. There's a Johnny Carson channel that just shows old episodes of Johnny Carson. That's fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it makes you just like, be like, damn, like I already knew that, just like the Jimmy Fallon sucked, but like you watch this and you're like, yeah, these shows are awful compared so, to how they used to be late night TV. 
So these channels are they're either themed channels and they're, you know, themed by like a type of show and it's just curated by uh, Pluto TV and, you know, the deals that they have made to acquire these properties or it's a real network who just has its own little channel on Pluto that operates independently of whatever's programmed on cable or it is just 24 seven of one thing. And uh, that is intoxicating to me like when i was when i was a kid my absolute favorite thing on earth was whenever uh, a channel was marathoning the same thing for like a day uh it, it's 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 a special feeling it puts in your heart um if you are a fan of really bad reality tv this is what you need to get like pluto tv is your place to go because i would never just i would never watch bar rescue without ads even <laughs> like it would be too much it's too concentrated of john taffer you know i need i need it to be broken up and i also need it to feel like i'm not choosing to watch it you know yeah, what i mean it has to be like you just happen to stumble upon yeah it has to be like well i mean it's on so i might as well just like leave it on and you're like well there is a channel devoted to bar rescue and that's why so i did consciously choose this channel but yeah. it's different than yeah, clicking through the streaming realm of all everything in the world, and like, do I want to watch The Sopranos yeah. or do I want to watch exactly. Bar Rescue? There's there's an MTV dating show channel, and like the newer stuff, I don't, I you know, I haven't kept up on, but it it shows like a great amount of like parental control and shows like that mm. that I used to like live on. Um, so and also I don't want to downplay Pluto. Like there's like an IFC channel that plays like Portlandia and shit all the time. Like it has a great selection for anyone, but in particular, if you like bad shows and you don't want to feel like it's your fault that they're on uh, bar rescue, let's, let's talk about this show. I, I didn't really watch it when it was actually on, like when I was in high school or whatever. Did you? Oh yeah. Dude. So here's a, a toxic fact about me is that I was, I like hate watched one, Spike one TV many. as a teenager. Like I, I, I watched Mansers and I was like, God, this show sucks, but I can't stop yeah, watching it. Mansers and is a thing, wild show. Mansers is the most problematic show ever made. Like that show yeah. is so fucking bad. Bar Rescue uh, is almost just as bad though. It has probably the most unlikable host. Of it has, yeah, it's shows. this like I think it can't be downplayed how viscerally unpleasant the host of Bar Rescue, John Taffer, is as a man. It after you watch enough of the show, you realize that it's really engineered around this fact that he sucks. Um, I I was getting shades of like Tommy Wiseau or like Neil Breen. The only wow. difference being that like ostensibly Taffer has had success in business and like. Uh, is able to, you know, with the help of, you know, his uh, production crew and like staff that actually fixes these bars, he is capable of like actually helping people. But it's, it's like those guys in that this man is so unbelievably ugly and unpleasant and like detached from reality in terms of like being human. Like he's full lizard brain. Like anytime he smiles, you're not buying it. You know what I mean? He's like, you can just tell he doesn't feel anything but rage um, even when he's pretending to and no one reacts positively to him ever in his life. So he has to engineer this show uh, in which it, 
like he pretends it's a necessary evil for him to scream at everyone all the time in order to like improve their bar. He doesn't have to do that. Um, but that's the only way to make him palatable is if he is like willingly being unpleasant. Cause otherwise he would, you know what I mean? You'd get a guy uh, like Nathan on Nathan for you when he, when he tries to like change his personality and wears a V neck and you don't want that. So it's this awful man going into even worse bars most of the time that are just like shitholes and uh, just fighting with everyone while simultaneously trying to improve the bar. And meanwhile, everyone around him is doing a way better job of actually improving things than he is. He's mostly just yelling. So that's the thing that I was going to say is that it's somebody who took all of the worst attributes of like Gordon Ramsay on Hell's Kitchen and like put it into a man who's not very good at actually having ideas to save a bar. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever been to for Orlando Ian's, or Orlandoians or Orlandites. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, for people in Orlando, if you guys have ever been to the bar, bar um, Copper Rocket. No. So there's an episode. It was bar rescued. Rescue. There was an episode of Bar Rescue where they went to the Copper Rocket and they changed it. Um, and I know this because uh, my old job, a GM and another manager, of mine went to this place whenever they did their soft opening that they do on bar rescue. And so they were like, you can see them in the episode, like in the background of this episode. Um, so I know this, they went in there, they changed it. They redesigned everything and it sucked. They like were worse than they were before. So they (laughs) changed everything back to how it was before the bar rescue team. Yeah. Wildly mixed results with with bar rescue sometimes you see this stuff and you're like this looks like shit like i would not go (laughs) yeah here's the thing at the very least you are getting a great equipment overhaul like you're getting any like nasty shit cleaned out and you're getting like you know you're getting like a new tap like you know a new keg machine you're getting a new fryer etc blah 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 which is great for any business um but yeah he's not the best at branding um they're also they're cramming so much work into just like a few days for no reason at all um because he comes in john the way it works is like john the episode starts with john in a car doing uh basically doing surveillance on the bar where there are cameras set up and the bar knows there are cameras set up (laughs) and they're watching it from the car quote unquote. And it's him. And then a, uh, like a chef, like a food expert who's going to overhaul the menu and then a bar expert who's going to retrain the bar staff. And that is those two roles are rotating in the show. And this is another realization I had. The only reason you would have those as fully rotating roles is because if anyone is on more than a few episodes of this show, they immediately become, more likable than John Taffer. <laughs> so he, he cannot have anyone stick around because like there, I've seen a couple people twice now and now I'm like, Oh, Oh, it's her. Great. Like this will be a solid episode. You don't think that with John Taffer. So he literally is hamstringing his own show in order to remain the alpha dog. Um, really impressive stuff, John. Great job. And so they do surveillance. He comes in and causes a big scene. He just fucking screams at everyone. There's there's a good amount of cast like acting like, where they're they're making the workers at these places like pretend, you know, play pretend kind of. I think what happens a lot is 
I don't think that these people expect that, you know, they know what happens in bar rescue. They know that John is a pe- like ornery and crazy. I don't think that they know that he is really going to storm in there and fucking scream his ass off. Uh, and so a lot of the time, even though they're expecting that they're still taken aback and like annoyed by him, even though they know the deal, uh, which is lovely to watch. Like they know Taffer and even they cannot handle Taffer. Um, Cause he sucks so unbelievably bad. And so he comes in, he screams at the owner. A lot of the time, uh, what he's saying is very deserved. Like you, you see like a lot of uh, bar, like restaurant owners who are pieces of shit in their own right. So it's just like two absolute trash people just fighting with each other, which is fun TV. That's what we watch for guys. Um, Shitty people being shitty to each other. Yeah, he comes in, they do a stress test. Uh, he he finds all the nasty shit. He's like, there's a bog! There's a bog in the bottle! <laughs> shut it down, shut it down. You know what, we're closing, we're closing. He kicks What kind out. of bug? Was it's it like crazy a ladybug? Every single soft opening is a disaster. It's kind <laughs> of, it's funny how literally everyone is a disaster. Yeah, uh, so he stress tests it and then he, he overhauls it. A lot of the time, someone on the staff will quit will not be able to handle the fact that uh, John Taffer genuinely doesn't need to be this rude. Uh, Are they obligated so to maintain mean. the quit, the quitting beyond the parameters no, of once, the show? Once he leaves, they can just come back. Yeah. yeah, they can be like, I'm sorry, this guy was like such an asshole. Yeah, he was, this guy was screaming at me, so I left. Yeah, uh, no, there's like, he screams. It's one thing when he's screaming at like the owner and the GM and stuff like that, but there's episodes where he's just like screaming at a server. I'm like, this woman's making $4 an hour. Can you please give her a fucking break? Like, my God, dude, yeah. like, calm the fuck down. And meanwhile, he's trying to like act as if he's, he's, giving them like tough love so then he'll he'll get he'll try to be even handed and be like okay so this is what we're going to do instead now that i have uh destroyed the fiber of your being for like a day or two and then he you know he unveils the plan uh the makeover is 36 hours of the bar really like you could you could stand for a few more hours (laughs) a lot of episodes i'm like man (laughs) a lot of episodes i'm like that looks like 36 hours of work (laughs) they painted and like got new stools. <laughs> um, so it's, I don't know. These shows fascinate me because there's so much more to go wrong than there is in a fully controlled environment. Um, and there's so much to parse out in your head. Like this is why Nathan for you is my favorite show ever. Cause at any given moment, you have to figure out what level of understanding every character is at. Like you, you're like, okay, this guy knows something's up. Does she mm-hmm. No, She doesn't know. Like, uh, and that's fun to watch. It's good TV. Also, we stand trash TV on We Bought a Mic. Look, I'm just saying, Drew, you undersold like all the stuff that is on Pluto TV. I know. I'm uh, yeah. listening right now. Look on Pluto TV. There's a shit ton of, there's right now, uh, I'm just looking on, I think it's on the drama channel right now. Um, I think it was drama. I think I saw uh, Moonstruck is playing right now. And then the talented Mr. Ripley is playing right now. Oh, hell yeah. Like it's just, there's just great movies on air as well as all this stuff. There's, there's a a matrix marathon. There's a game show network channel. Yeah. If you're looking for baggage, deal or no deal. Baggage is on there. Baggage channel. No, but there is, they do show a lot of baggage on the game show channel. I'm going to submit that into Pluto TV for them to create a baggage channel. Just for me, like how much money do you need me to sell? I'll give you like 50 bucks to just make a baggage channel. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, no, there's a ton of stuff. There's a survivor channel. If you just want to live the most chaotic life, which is just watching like season 27, episode three, and then go to like season four, episode 13. Like if you want to live that kind of chaotic lifestyle, you could do that with Pluto TV. Yeah. Unfortunately, I am going to have to switch back to good content soon because I it's the switch in my brain is starting to feel permanent. And can, I'm not comfortable with my IQ. Can I talk about can I talk about another bad show that I've been watching uh, that I just discovered thanks to my COVID fiance? Um, it's a show. Have you guys ever heard of the show called Tanked? Yes. So you wrote is, you wrote thanks in the show notes. Well, because my phone probably auto corrected to thanks, and I do not. I'm not saying thanks to this show. Um, <laughs> the way that I would describe it is you like how we were saying that this is that bar rescue is trying to capitalize on the brand name of Gordon Ramsay tanked is trying to capitalize on the success of pawn stars. And like, mm. we can just take normal people doing a normal job oh my and then be celebrities and turn them into like, we're going to make these people act. And this is a is, show just about fish tanks. It's yeah. It's about people who make the most insane fish tanks in the world. And Grant, they are like good at their job, but the scenes, first of all, the biggest problem with the show, the episodes are an hour long. There's <laughs> no fucking reason on this earth why these should be hour long episodes of television. Like they should be a half hour tops and they do two, two different projects at the same time. But like, absolutely no reason and every time that they try to get these people to act it's the most cringy thing that you've ever seen in your life there was one where they had a they like had to bring <laughs> these people are like from new york or something so they got like heavy like jersey shore accents like they're out here and there's like all right so you want a spongebob fish tank all right well i'm gonna get my stepfather to come out here and he's gonna model for us because he used to do some nude modeling and oh. like he comes Wait, out there what? in a, a spongebob outfit and like poses and like blowing no. bubbles for them it's really bad. Shout out to Discovery Plus. Has a I was about to ask, shows. are you outing yourself right now as, as like Discovery, Discovery Plus? Plus. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you kidding me? We watch a wow. ton of ELC and everything. Shout else. out to like, Adam, friend of the pod, who just outed himself as well on his podcast. Look, so, so brave. Look, there's some fun stuff on Discovery Plus. I'll say, uh, we got. I mean, don't they have like the full? Brothers. Yeah, they have like the full HGTV and Food Network back. Yeah, they have Food Network, HGTV, TLC, Animal Planet, History Channel, Travel, God uh, damn. Sci-Fi. Like they have a ton of shit on Discovery Plus. Um, but yeah, also. I have, some, I have a little bit of, of big news actually. One of the creators of Tanked, uh, Brett the the bald one actually recently uh entered the donut business what is that supposed to mean <laughs> do you want to did you guys enter are you his partner is that your next career is that you and brett raymer are gonna be in the donut business together no, it just popped up when I Googled it. It's 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 him with like a plate full of donuts that look pretty good. And then behind him, guess what? Fish tank. <laughs> I will say, no, so oh here's the thing. God. Here's how I recommend watching the show is I want you, everybody listeners, download Discovery Plus, sign up for a membership, turn on tank, fast forward to the last seven minutes of every episode and just watch the completed projects. And you'll be like, wow, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't. <laughs> and I didn't have to watch any of their like, 
45 minutes of banter between each other. I don't, really I don't think, bad. I don't think I would be that impressed by the coolest fish tank in the world. So I it's don't... only one tank per episode. No, it's two tanks. It's two tanks. <laughs> like they didn't want, I'm trying okay, that makes me feel I, might a lot mi- I might be mixing up the episodes, but they do some stuff where it's like, man, wild choice by the producers to put these two together where yes, this is it. <laughs> they mix it. So they did as a two parter. One of them was they built a fish tank for clay Matthews. Uh, Hell yeah. Hall of fame linebacker for the green Bay Packers clay Matthews. I don't know if he's in the hall of fame. Is he? I don't know. No, definitely not. Okay, really good linebacker. Um, they did for him. The other second thing that they did in honor for them being in Las Vegas, they built a memorial for the shooting that happened. At- <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why did they pair these two things together? That it goes back and forth. So the tank like- is a memorial? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. The tank is the memorial that they built. It was it's like a-, a waterfall kind of thing. It was fine. It was whatever. They, but, it's, but it was yeah. still like a normal size. Fish no, tank. it was like it was really big. Like it was fucking huge. They're also keeping Stephen Paddock in there. <laughs> no, they <laughs> just like it was just this the the tone choices to switch back and forth to just being like, all right, folks, huddle up. We're gonna make a game plan on how we can tackle this fish tank. Like then doing uh... cramming in every football pun they can to then them just being like. I just want to pay respect to our hometown. <laughs> well, that that makes more sense as to why they drag it out that long. Because in my head, like I think in Shark Tank head, not not, not to, tanked, not tanked. Yeah, <laughs> not to do a pun, but I've been watching so much Shark Tank and they cram like sometimes like five or six different pitches into a half hour. Like that needs to be the model, but it makes sense if they're going to do like a whole emotional story. No, I'm going to stop here. Right. No, don't, no, they don't. No. They, this is the only episode that I've seen where they're trying to do an emotional journey. Otherwise, it's just like it's them going on a thing and then being like, oh, well, we have to convert this. Uh, there's also the ad placement is so bad in the show where they're just like, we have to convert this uh, new Toyota Odyssey into a fish tank uh, starring SpongeBob to get that. We need to oh. go out to these dune buggies to learn how to get them. And then it's just like, uh, Brad's like, Oh, I got to get my wife Heather out here. Cause she's <laughs> terrified of dune buggies. Yeah. And she's like, Brad, no, you know I'm terrified of the dune buggies. Don't take me out there. Shout out to Honda. That's that's what happens on these episodes. It's so bad. And like their accents, it's just the worst. It's the worst. And I kind of love it and I can't stop watching it. Well, shout out to Discovery. There's something intoxicating about these bad television shows that you just can't. I don't know if I'm comfortable being uh, lumped in with this. You're here. Look, I think the tank is exactly on the same level as Bar Rescue. There's no way that Bar Rescue is a better show. Than yeah, but Bar Rescue at least has a premise that's good. This show has a horrible premise. It's that millionaires <laughs> hire them to build them fish tanks. What are that's you talking not, about? I wouldn't even watch like a Vox like 20 minute thing about that. <laughs> All right. right. Well, so, well, speaking of this stuff, I don't know if you guys know this, but as Orlando user, Spectrum is actually getting rid of Corncob TV. (laughs) All right. Which is featuring such great hits as Coffin Flop. That's a good premise. Coffin Flop Flop has a great premise. I'm going to, I'm going to save the, the 
in between two items for next. No, yeah, podcast. that's. I think that's what Hunter was trying to do here. I was trying to do a really sick transition there. We just weren't going to acknowledge any of the other things no. that were on that list. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great idea because I could talk about the cube for a long time, and I think you know that, Ernest. Yeah, we're gonna have to save cube talk. I gotta catch up. I haven't. That seen show drives me insane. So we'll. <laughs> are, you, are you caught up on cube? Um. Yeah. I don't spoil episode f- uh, four hundred thirty-two. <laughs> just trying to scare Ernest into thinking there's that, that show like ends in the most random places where it's like they're in the middle of a challenge and it's like all right the episode's over you know what wait are we just doing cute no stop stop no no more thoughts no more thoughts uh, we have to talk about I think you should leave season two which is a good show and could have gone maybe before these other things um but you gotta keep you know there, there has to be a reason to come back after the break as they say exactly are we going to take a little break here? No, but fresh white we're claw. going right into it. Go grab a White Claw and I'll, I'll vamp by just talking about how this is my favorite show since Nathan for you. So um, we have a whole little segment prepared here for today as we discuss season two of I Think You Should Leave. I don't think we did. We devote a whole episode to the first season. I remember us talking about it. In no, like the best of the year. I mean, it wasn't a whole episode, but we talked about it a lot. Like uh, we did a catch up episode where it was mostly this show. And then we talked about it a lot at the end of the year. So we we're good on season one. If you didn't hear, this is one of our favorite shows. It's a sketch show. It's uh, starring and created by Tim Robinson, formerly of SNL, formerly of Detroiters on Comedy Central. He's a singular talent uh, as far as sketch writing and acting go. Uh, there's no one like him. There's nothing like the show uh, in season one. Uh, was already something really special because it represented a group of really good and like-minded sketch writers finally getting to write for themselves. Uh, And the result was like something way more absurdist and silly and stupid than uh, what you would see on like an SNL. And uh, needless to say, like way, 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 way better, like infinitely better. Um, also, yeah, I, SNL is so stale compared to this. Like, yeah, well, the, I uh, I wrote I thought a lot about SNL while watching it because they, this two shows obviously still share a lot of DNA because like the, this whole brain trust behind the show is straight from SNL. Uh, Robinson, Zach Kanan, co-creator and John Solomon, who used to be Will Forte's uh, writer. So these guys, like it is the SNL sketch, uh, you know, handbook is is drilled into their cerebellums. Um, And you see a lot of that. And like, I mean, even pre SNL, you're like, this is what you write when you're writing for a live audience, like a general populist live audience in general, uh, because, you know, these guys are from either the Groundlings or Second City or they did improv in college. and what season two represents to me, as far as like leaps go from season one, is realizing that you can do a lot more if you have no live audience whatsoever. Like you can, there are a lot of little tricks that you can get away with that they, they chose to go with a lot more this season. And it made me very, very happy. I mean, so we watched uh, the first couple episodes of season two together. I believe Drew, right? Was that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because you came over like just you just happened to come over that day, like after a basketball game, whenever this show just first premiered. And like 
I was telling you, because I had already watched the first few episodes, that this season is a lot weirder. And yeah. I think that that's where this where I like season two even more than season one is that it just kind of fully embracing yeah weirdness exactly it comes yeah it comes for the reason i just said and then the other reason for that is that netflix was very happy with the return on investment it got from season one uh not that it necessarily got a shitload of viewers but it has a rabid and very online fan base and it's became sort of a phenomenon in certain circles um which netflix is a big fan of fostering shows like that so they got the green light and for season two to that they basically got that there's no rules green light like do whatever you want because people we're not trying to broaden this show we're trying to make this show because taste maker type people respond well to the show um so yeah they, they have full green light from netflix and from themselves uh and the result, yeah, it's weirder, it's it's sillier, it's grosser, it's a lot more profane even than season one. Um, speaking toward the the steering away from any live audience thing, like writing for a live audience, one of the biggest ways I noticed that is the setups of the sketches are longer in season two mm -hmm. because you don't in like if you have a live audience, even if you're trying to do setup for a sketch, you can't have a minute with no laughs. You just can't like the, you can't lose the audience for that long or else you might lose them entirely. Um, and because they're not worried about that anymore, they can dig really deep and give you like a minute or two of just pure setup where you either get sort of like you settle into like a genre parody, like you settle into the genre the sketch is going for. You get to know the characters, you get like real human moments, which make it so much better once shit hits the fan. Uh, like you almost need that, you know? Yeah. I think um, overall it's just as good as the first season, but I think that the first season has certain sketches that just stick in my mind a little bit more, you know, like TC Tuggers. It's, well, you know, see, like there's no, it, it might come with rewatchability and yeah. we're going to talk more in depth about some of these specific sketches in the second season. But I feel like there's no, there's no TC tuggers in this one. There's no like, you know, there are a couple like that the, I think might end up on that level for us. But I'll, I, well, the, the other thing you got to remember is that like a lot of of our response to season one, at least mine was like the sheer surprise of like, where did this come from? Yeah. Like, what is this show on Netflix and how is, you know, how is it so incredibly funny? Now we like know how the show works. So they can't surprise us as much as they did, you know, I will and they say, still did. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about you guys. I think that I've watched through this season probably like six times now at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, me and Gaia now just have this on a loop in our house. Um, especially season two. Cause I think that season two, like it is, there's more sketches in it that like require a second or third viewing. And then you're like, Holy fuck, this is the funniest thing like I've ever seen in my life. Like it's going to be interesting when we get to drafting sketches because I might have like different sketches that after seeing things so much, I'm like, this is the funniest thing that I've ever fucking seen before. Like that. I think that there's like probably like five or six sketches in season two that I put up with anything in season one. Uh, I think that my favorite sketch in season one is probably the end of the episode one with Steven Young, that episode. Yeah. I think that that is my see. number one. 
Um, yeah, the gift receipt. I think gift so receipt good. is my number one from season one. And there are a few sketches that I put right up against it from we season had a two. sloppy mud pie. Well, and and like speaking to what I said earlier, like that the gift receipt is the first sketch where we saw that like restraint in the setup of the sketch. Like, there, you know, there's like a good it took its time. Yeah, there's a good like two minutes where you're like, you know, the, the sketch unfolds itself. And even like three or four minutes in, you're still thinking, OK, well, this one guy is weird. And then it still has more to show you. Um, and that that happens a good amount this season. I agree. I, you know, obviously only time will tell like how everything sticks and like where this compares to season one. But I was over the moon with what I saw from season two. I've watched it a few times already. It. Um, I was really worried. It took me a long time to finally watch it. Cause I was just, you know, I, I don't love things often. So I don't, I didn't want my little heart broken. You mm. know what I mean? I, I think that Netflix, you know, it's kind of touch and go sometimes. Like I, I am fearful of the, the live action avatar show because the creators left it for creative differences, but it seems like a lot of times Netflix is very uh, hands off. They're like, all right, here, do your thing. We'll cut the check and you do whatever you need to do in your creative brain to make this great. So I wasn't super fearful about this being like off from the first season in terms of like quality or anything like that. I mean, that's the thing with Netflix is like, they're either one of two sides. They're either trying to make you stranger things or they are trying to be like, look, we'll just let you do whatever you want. So to bring in more auteurs to the service, they kind of are able to balance. Exactly. They're able to kind of juggle both of those things at the same time. Dude, Robinson is, I mean, who the fuck is Martin Scorsese? Fuck that old fuck. (laughs) Fuck that old fuck. Is that the guy? Wait, is that the guy in the, in the sketch? (laughs) Santa Claus? What? <laughs> um, speaking, well, yeah, speaking of, that's another defining trait of season two is old men. <laughs> the, the reliance on old men to be the weird one in the sketch because they did it once in season one and it was perhaps yeah, probably the most, group. yeah, the most memorable yeah, for, sketch of the who season. Is that guy? Like, that guy is Scorsese. I'm telling you guys, it's Martin Scorsese is focus group, man. That that guy is actually a comedian from Mexico who like fully knew how funny he was being. Um, it's <laughs> that, like a misconception. People think that he wasn't in on it, but he really like he got it. It's it's a breakthrough performance. Yeah. Um, this season, we get new old guys. <laughs> we get Santa Claus, who I, that guy's name is something insane in real life his name's like biff riff or something yeah he was just in the um the biff the the rick rubin episode of um dave on fx oh really rick rubin (laughs) well kind of he's like a rick rubin like uh knockoff kind of nice like a like a, a a a red herring if you will yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Bob Odenkirk is officially an old guy. So, oh, that's get some Bob Odenkirk in this. But yeah, Odenkirk is king. We get we get the professor who steals the burger. Um, we get the Dude. guy in, 
it, the old guy in the Claire sketch, the last sketch of the season. Oh my God, that guy's so fucking good. I don't know who that man really? is. I've never seen that guy before, but he's so fucking Yeah, good. And gen- I mean, generally speaking, Tim is sharing the ball a lot more this season. We get mm-hmm. like... He's the straight man for well, a yeah. lot of these. He gives it up to, especially Patty Harrison makes yeah. it, which my God, Patty Harrison is just like the MVP. Like, I want to see this woman in like literally everything like just put her in every comedy that i ever see for the rest of my life yeah she happy. she's the only person like i love people like conor o'malley and caperland um but she's the only person that i would like to see in every episode of i think you should leave because i think she blends really seamlessly she she's better than almost anyone at absurdity she's very good at it and at different levels of absurdity too yeah um, yeah, no, y- y'all know I've been on that Patty train for a minute. Um, that, um, that Claire sketch is one of the ones that I really need to pay attention to on a rewatch. Cause that's one of the ones where it's just like, there's a lot, there's a lot happening here that you can't catch on a first watch. It's a, it's a heartbreaking sketch. It's like not funny. It's more like upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good, that, yeah, that one is sort of a burner. Um, and then there are also like every sketch show ever, there are also sketches that don't particularly stick out. Obviously that just, there's no sketch show that's ever bad a thousand, not even like Chappelle's show. Um, this show has the best hit rate since Chappelle's show in terms of good sketches. But like, like I said about season one, every sketch has something memorable in it or something to laugh at. Like one sketch that didn't really stick with me as a sketch was the courtroom sketch where he has the weird hat on. Oh, oh um, man. I fucking love that. sketch. So that's, that's <laughs> the sketch itself didn't stick with me, but the detail that that guy has dice in his pocket and he doesn't want anyone to see <laughs> is so specific. And it's not, rooted in any rule of comedy like it's not it doesn't make any sense in any way and because of that it's funnier than any joke you could write like it's so it's like a perfectly executed absurdist joke i'm gonna tell you right now that might be drafted on my list because i fucking love that that sketch is it's one of those that it is like you the more and more you see the sketch and you notice every detail about that sketch and Tim, the way that Tim is playing it is so fucking good. Every time like they read another piece of text message exchange, he's like, the fucker still talking about the hat. <laughs> it's just it's he, so yeah, it's he so gives well a, done. Yeah, he gives a nice, like varied uh troop of weird guys <laughs> when he's not being a straight man, which by the way, I agree. He's very, very good at being a straight man, not just like serviceable. He nails it, yeah. He's really good at it. Um let's, yeah. uh, let's get to the draft, huh? Yeah, it'll it'll be a good way to like talk about the rest of the season. So what um, we're gonna do is each one of us is going to draft five sketches from season two. Um, This might get a little heated boys. I Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that y'all are going to take some of my picks and I'm going to get upset. So just letting you know right now. So each one of us is going to pick five Mm -hmm. for a total of 15 and we'll get to highlight the best of the best of, I think you should leave season two. So Without further ado, what's our order? It. What's our order? Um, Are you pulling up like a random a randomizer right now? Well, let's let's do a dice. Let's do a dice roll. Um, so I'm gonna that, roll some dice here. 
that that requires further explanation as to how you, that's going to would, determine. You would have dice on hand, wouldn't you, Ernest? He didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> He's well, like kicking the dice through his computer screen <laughs> towards me. What? How? Uh, we should. Yeah, exactly. We you, realized yeah, it. you said you said dice, and I was like, well, well yeah. Then what? <laughs> so like, you'll be one, two. I'll be three, four, and you'll be five, six. <laughs> yeah, like, why not? Uh, you know what? Sure, sure, sure. Do that. Um, Roll it twice, Ernest, and see what the numbers come up with. Huh, how did we do this before? Didn't we Just do a draft? Roll, Ernie, we rolled the we dice. Have I, to gave, do it. I gave it. I gave you the answer. We just did a randomizer, I think, before. Okay. All right. So the first roll is one. Okay. So it's you, Ernest. You get the first pick. You get the number one okay. pick. And then in the, the next roll is five. That's okay. Me. So it's true. So I'll get okay. it. I'll, and then right. we'll snake draft the rest. Yeah. All you right, know cool. it. I, I, I love being third for this. This is great. Okay. All right. So I'm first, and then Drew, and then Hunter. Mm hmm. Okay. All right, so my first pick for sketches of I Think You Should Leave Season 2, it has to be Coffin Flop. Yeah, Corn Cod TV, it, that's an unbelievable sketch. That, to me, is on par with anything from Season 1. Um, the it, number of different setups that they had to film. Exactly. Like, of these people falling out of the bottom of coffins at funerals. Not just is that, unbelievable. The, the way that they, it's, it's a classic, I think you should leave thing where they, they set up a sketch that's already funny where it's this guy who's like sort of trying to get you to call spectrum to save a TV network. And then it, it just becomes entirely about this one show that's on this one network that he wants you to save right. because coffin flop is so fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah. It, 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 it's a 10 out of 10. There's this one moment that really like resonated with me where it's this little boy uh, next to a coffin at a, at a funeral. And there, it's not. It's one of the ones where it's not being carried, so it's already up at the front of the funeral uh, thing, and the co the body just rolls out of the coffin. It just falls out and rolls onto this little boy, and that's mm -hmm. when it hit me as to like how masterful this sketch was. That they they're like, no, we're not just going to show people falling out of the bottom. We're going to have somebody roll out of the side of it onto a little child and man, just the commitment to it. Like they just keep showing it. They just, they don't do one or two. I think there's like, what, like there's gotta be like over 20, 25 shots. There's so of many people falling out of coffins. <laughs> they, yeah. Which leads you to think maybe they're staging those, but no, they're not. He didn't rig shit. He didn't rig shit. I didn't rig shit. Sometimes they're naked. <laughs> anyway, that's a great first pick. Um, before before we started recording, we did pre-establish that sketches with callback sketches do count as one, and for that reason, mm -hmm. I'm going to take Dan Flashes. That's um, yeah. Because you gotta, the, you gotta take it. The initial sketch is like very season one. Like it's very just like Tim Robinson just fucking screaming in an office, which he does a lot of in season one. Um, he screams better than anyone else on earth. I like that the the old guy is really screaming back in the sketch. Like this old guy is like not having it. He's not just like, what's up with you? He's like equally crazy because he's yelling. 
Um, but really, I'm I'm buying this for the callback sketch. That is one of the fun. That's like the hardest I laughed during the season. It's is, the, seeing a bunch of dudes who look like Tim Robinson running up to racks and being like, yeah, and like, yeah, it's like they're on acid, staring at these shirts, like like tracing the patterns. It's one of the funniest things, like visual. Uh, jokes I've ever seen in my whole life. Like it's top 10. I'm not exaggerating. It is. And also the very innocuous setup for it where it starts off as like a hotel's TV channel where it's showing you what's in the area. And then it's like, okay, now visit these shops in the area. And then it's like, Oh yeah, you should check out Dan flashes. Like <laughs> the slow rollout. You don't even know it's a callback until like a little bit into it. It's so brilliant. Um. It, it, yeah, it made me so happy. It's, All right, Hunter. It's incredible. I fucking love that. So you mentioned uh, that sketch, which is from episode two. And I'm going to point out, I'm going to take two other sketches that are also from that same episode right here. Uh, this is what I meant about just like, I think that season two, episode two is, if you were just going to say, like show just a random person be like, uh, watch the show. This is the episode that you show them. It it's, opens yeah, it's up. Perfect. It opens up with the Shark Tank. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, what's it called? The uh, the Capital Room. Yeah. Um, it opens up with that sketch. Goes into Dan Flashes, and then goes into two sketches that I'm going to mention here. I'm going to take Dinner w- Diner Wink uh, <laughs> with our guy Bob Odenkirk, which is the funniest sketch of the season for me. Um, wow. That is my number one. I've me and Gaia have a continuous is best. We are constantly quoting that episode. Yeah. Like, we also we should say that none of these sketches actually have names. So we're just like we're either yeah, we're calling them what them. we read somewhere or naming them. Yeah, I wrote triples of the Nova for that one. Triples of the well, uh, good news. Triples of the Nova. I have triples of Tell the Barracuda, triples of the Roadrunner. And that's it. That's it. That's all I have. Oh, good news, guys. <laughs> triples of the Nova. I had Nova Winter. Triples is good. Triples is best. It's um, a good deal. It's so good. The Tell her funniest, about my wife. Tell her. The funniest part about that sketch is when he's just like, his wife is going to be okay. Uh, my friend. She's my hanging friend in there. Gonna okay. She's going to make it. I, <laughs> I don't live in a hotel. My friend doesn't live in a hotel. And I'm rich. <laughs> I cannot stop quoting that sketch in the group chat. I did it a few days ago when our friend, uh, had a uh, girlfriend who was recovering from COVID. I was like, but she's going to be okay. She's beautiful. She's dying. (laughs) I love Um, it. Bob Odenkirk is the best. I like sadly quoted that whenever Bob Odenkirk was in the hospital. um, The most terrifying, like 48 hours of my life. My heart dropped whenever I saw that news. Thank God he's going to be okay. Our guy's going to make it. He, He sells the tragedy really well like almost too well it's like a sad sketch (laughs) it is he's so good in it and then the next one i gotta do sloppy steaks come on guys it's just it's so good i was debating i asked you guys what i was going to do for my halloween costume this year and i'm between trying to find an abstract shirt from dan flashes or trying to be the guy in the flashback from when uh, white shirt used to be a piece of shit yeah white shirt white pants sloppy steaks (laughs) with the best that eating sloppy steaks shout out to ezra cohen lead singer for vampire weekend who wrote a fucking song um, so this is your second pick right here yeah 
Yeah, sloppy yeah. steaks. Well, also, I fucking hate you right now. Yeah, the, uh, sloppy steaks. Well, yeah, I would have taken it too because this sketch, being known as that sloppy steak sketch, almost undersells it because the initial sketch is already really funny. That Tim is just the hung party, up. That he, yeah, he thinks this baby thinks that it, you <laughs> don't grow from being a piece of shit yeah, in the just past. Like, I, just, I think this baby doesn't know that people can change. Yeah, yeah. that's why babies <laughs> cry. <laughs> that's like that's like a. It's already really great. And then it, like, like I said before, it just it takes a hard left. The way that it progresses to him going up to <laughs> the baby mother's father and pushing his hair back and be like, "Oh yeah, that slick back real dog." Yeah, that guy used to be a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh damn it! Why are you tell me your big your old man used to be a big pile of piece of shit? God, I fucking love the sloppy so good. steaks, man. It's so good. It the just, music, it the slow so motion. Oh my god! Yeah. So I'm glad those are actually my number one and my number two of the entire season. So I'm, I'm so happy to get them right here. I, I have two here that I think I think if I take one, you'll take the other, Ernie. I'm going to take one that I particularly just in love with, which is the ghost tour. Nice. OK, um, that was friend of the pod. Danny's favorite. Uh, it It's my favorite Tim performance in the whole season, actually. Yeah, like, he's sobbing. <laughs> Yeah, he the way he sells like his characters because obviously all of his characters fail to understand something really critical about what's going on socially in the scene. But this character like genuinely doesn't mean to like he doesn't want to be misunderstanding, He but he thinks the rules of the tour are so important. And it, it, it's also easy, like my favorite line read of the season by like a mile is when he comes back to the tour and he's like crying a little bit and he's like, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to get a laugh. I don't want anyone to have the worst day at their job, but do any of these fuckers ever blast out of the wall and have like a huge cup shot? It's so good. I, the, I just, the, you are right. That might be the best time performance the entire season. He's <laughs> on. He's on absolute fire because he's not <laughs> dialing it up to a thousand. You know what I mean? He's just a guy who just like wants to say "come shot" a lot <laughs> and like doesn't understand why he can't. <laughs> it's, it's oh just. My God. It's too good. It's really, really good. <sighs> and that's another one that has like probably a whole minute of hyper realistic setup. Where like, at like every word said before Tim gets in there is like exactly what you would hear on a ghost tour. Like the light chuckles, you know, the the mids jokes from the guide. It, it's incredible. It's it's very very good. Oh, that's such a good pick. Oh my god, we're we're on fire, boys. This was a great idea. Um, next is my pick. I get two picks actually, but the one that I have right in front of me right now. CalcoCupPants.com, baby. Did you Calico give? Did that you was the give? other one. Here's the you gotta give. <laughs> you know, so something funny. <laughs> I did me the other day. We were like sitting on the couch together, and she texted me, "Look up at me." And she looked, and I like looked at her, and she said, "You gotta give." <laughs> but, like the fact that she actually executed, and I was not expecting it was. It was and so it long. also has, and just smack dab in the in the middle of it as a treat. Hold that door. Hold that door. Hold that door. Hold that door. (laughs) Yeah. Not to mention you're getting Mike O'Brien from SNL and you're who sort of is like 
is an analog to Tim. They both had the exact same SNL career, starting as a writer, getting promoted to cast, being too weird for the cast, getting yeah. demoted to writer, and then leaving. <laughs> D- difference is that Mike went on to make AP Bio, which was very lucrative for NBC, but isn't that great of a show. Um, but he gets to pop in here, and then obviously Connor O'Malley gets to. Oh, I, I love the premise of this, of having little pee spots on, on your pants when you don't shake enough or you... You know, you still have a little bit left of when you put your pants back on and it just leaks out to, Look, to for the whole world there. to see. And everybody's there's a whole there. website based on the fact that they sell the pants like that. They come like that. That's not a stain. It's the yeah. pant was designed to be that way. And it's yeah. And this is also easily the longest sketch of the season. Oh, um, yeah. It's like. I'd say like most of an episode is this one sketch because the days just like go by <laughs> like he, and Tim keeps on bugging like to give and uh, things just get worse and worse for Mike. And look, if you, you can go to Calico pants.com right now mm-hmm. and you can buy little pants with the little, with the little dots on them. Cause they sell them that way. Yeah. They but they like are that. all sold out right now. So but, what a, but you have to give to keep the website going. <laughs> It only yeah, works yeah. if you give. A lot of people give. You get another pick here. Uh, you get another pick, Ernie. All right. I think so. Sloppy Sticks would have been my other pick because I fucking love that sketch. It's so good. I get so much out of it. It makes me laugh so much. But since it's already taken, I got to go for my next one, which is uh, the mall prank guy. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Carl Havoc is Carl Havoc. <laughs> I don't want to be around anymore. <laughs> this is another uh, like top. Carl, I, Carl I think are, you saying, are you saying you want to kill yourself? Yeah, this is the second favorite Tim performance because he starts off as like an unbelievable impression of an annoying reality show guy, you know, where he's like hamming it up for the camera. He's annoying as shit. Um, and then he instantly becomes suicidal. <laughs> like he's very, walking around. Very this is the closest we get to like Eric Andre. Of like him actually interacting with yeah. real people. But he's like, ball. but he refused to interact with anyone. He's being so, he's so quiet the second he gets in that suit. Like he hardly says a word. It's another thing where like they're, they're clearly not worried about the audience, like chilling for a second. There's too much shit on me. Yeah. Cause it's really just like, like 20 seconds of him just standing there. And it looks, it, the visual gag is like endlessly funny. Cause <laughs> but also such, before when they're putting the makeup on and he's like playing he's like, it up to eh. the camera. But but you're like, that's a lot of makeup. <laughs> like you're thinking like- And it's you like fake arms and shoulders. Yeah, and yeah. They're, yeah, they're putting like paper mache on him basically. And you're like, I hope they address this. And then he, but they don't address it how you would think. They go a step farther, which is he, he skips the part where he's like struggling. He's just instantly given up. It's <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't his know if I want to live. His interaction with the producer is so good too, because the producer's like, uh, go up to grab woman, that guy's tray. Go up to a woman, uh, like throw her food on the ground. He's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be here. It's like because of the suit, and then like ten seconds go by, and then he's like, yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim gets almost like experimental with his line reads this season. And I really appreciated it's so it. So good. Guys. Oh my God. That was, that was going to be my next pick. If you yeah. take it. one of you guys didn't take it. It's um, so good. good, man. Oh my God. It's genius level shit. So for my next pick, I think 
in terms of like a one sketches that everyone else also thinks is very memorable from like Twitter, you can tell I'm, I'm taking tables. God damn, dude. I, I'm glad that this table, like, I didn't know if this sketch was going to catch on in the same way in like the Twitter sphere. And I'm glad that it is because it's so goddamn good. Mm -hmm. What is her job? What does she do? Tables. (laughs) Any monster. What did he do? It's like he stepped on my tables. These tables are my livelihood. They keep my home hot. But also it's, it's for like a driver's ed video. Yeah. Well, so this (laughs) is a setup and also for the most part, an execution that SNL could do. This isn't one of the sketches that's just like way gone from that structure. It's very SNL structured and you could write this for that. This puts SNL to fucking shame. There were a lot of sketches like this in the mid 2000s, like Will Forte sketches were like this, to be honest. It has like pretty traditional structure, like three examples of something weird happening, someone pointing it out and then it getting weirder. Um, Shout out to the person who is pointing out the weirdness of this, by the way, whoever they are, like very, very good, like dry delivery of like, so like her, her job is tables. What does that mean? (laughs) The tables are my corn. (laughs) Um, And then obviously like, you know, Patty Hive, we're all, we're all Patty Hive. Um, Yeah. She's unbelievable. The way that she like dies at the end of each take where she's just like, Oh, Yeah. But the funniest is the guy at the end. She's like, oh, I'm so angry. Ah! I've, yeah, I've never been angry in my life. And then he just <laughs> dies. Um, it's just, it's an incredible sketch. It's just, it's very, very memorable. Like for some reason, tables just sticks in my head. Um, her job is tables. It's so simple. It's, it's easy to execute compared to a lot of other sketches this season. Like, but like this is a sketch you could put on SNL. That's it, you are one hundred percent right. That it's this so is- frustrating to me that they don't do more like this because sometimes they do. Like every now and then there will be one, and and it you have to find it because it doesn't go viral. But like this is a sweet spot sketch where like this is something I would have loved if I saw it in middle school, uh, you know, at at midnight on a Saturday. And it, yeah, I love it now. I mean, it actually it could have. Maybe like there's a chance this would get made, but unfortunately, Colin Jost is still running things that doesn't know. Um, so I have two picks here. Um, and I'm trying to think of what I can leave and what I think can make it back to me. I know. And I am just kind of going to go with the heart on two picks and I might lose some other stuff that I want here, but I got to go with what I want. One of them is another sketch that I'm quoting constantly. And that is, I had to look up the, uh, the name of the lounge in which this takes place, but it's <laughs> Gramble's Lorelei Lounge, or I should have ordered that. Oh, <laughs> dinner with the professor. As I dinner like with the professor. <laughs> give me, give me a piece of that. I'm going to eat so this whole funny. thing. It's exactly what we were talking about, about is Tim is the straight man. Like Tim doesn't yeah. really do much in this sketch except for just play it straight. But the guy who has this is so good. And specifically the part that I keep quoting is just like, is the I can't let this get out because if it gets out, then people know that I'm just a scared little boy who never learned how to ask anybody for their food or their burger. <laughs> and the worst part about it is that if this gets out, my wife will go to jail because then everyone will know that a little boy goes down on her every night. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. 
It's so good. I'll say it's, you killed the president. I sped that up. That's like delivered over the course of like a 40 second long monologue. Yeah. It so say that slowly. you're going to kill the president on camera. <laughs> I love that sketch so much. That's I love also, that guy. Do you guys have the, the name of that? Uh, no. The guy who. I, I will say this sketch unfolds. Uh, it doesn't go as far as the receipt sketch, but it unfolds in exactly the same manner mm-hmm. where like a group of people are, are like hanging out. It's very normal. And then a guy does something that like, you know, it's semi-normal where he's talking about, oh, do you need the gift receipt? No. And he's like, oh yeah, you can have a bite. Like, oh, give me a bite of that. That looks so good. And then it just keeps I'm going. Joking. He's, yeah. I'm he's joking. like, all right, well then give me the receipt. <laughs> and then they're like, okay. You know, and then he's like, I'm going to eat this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> just eats the whole burger. I keep eating things with this guy. I'm just like eating it, and I just do like that last bite that he does, where he just holds it right here and goes. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I like that he, like you said, he delivers everything very slowly too. He's it's very so. Measured. It's such an incredible like physical performance that he gives. Um, secondly, I have to, you know, as a man who's going to be married in the next couple months, I got to mm. take Paul Walter Hauser. Damn it! And I got I gotta take my guy uh, Jamie Taco and the Jamie Taco sketch. This Where is Jamie so Taco, good. He's just he's getting his lines out too fast. I don't have time <laughs> to get out my lines. Put the money in the bag. It's this so good. This is so good. Dude, Paul Walter Hauser once again is just showing off like that he has incredible comedic chops. Stop trying to put this guy in Richard Jewell shit and put him in more stuff like I Tanya, where he can just like be the funniest person in a movie because he's so fucking good at that like i i just i love God, this sketch, I love this sketch Tucker, so much man. i love this sketch as much as i love my wife um the also the progression of the sketch where it, like it just keeps going and going to the point where you forget how the sketch started because it mm-hmm. also this is the opening of an episode it ends with the flashback the flash forward of him being with his boys and he's like i shouldn't have made that joke i gotta go home guys and it's like no you never stay over for the slumber parties and it flashes and the camera pans over and there's a bunch of like sleeping bags all next to each other on the floor he's like come on it's my birthday <laughs> That's so that, good. that is an underrated. Yeah, every time I watch that one, I like it more. That's a very so strong good. one. I love that sketch. I love it. Love it. Love it. Do you have another one? No, that's my it. Two. That was Those your two. two. Okay, so you got to go, Drew. <sighs> two okay. openers. Two uh, episode openers. That I I'm. Go- right there. I'm really worried. I'm just worried you're gonna snipe my my sleeper pick, Ernie. That like. Well, Hunter is, just took one of mine. So I know. I'm. I'm there's scrambling. One, there's one that nobody talks about that is in like my top three secretly, and I'm gonna save it because I don't think you're gonna take it. I'm gonna take the opening sketch of the season, the hot, the hot dog. dog. Yes. Oh, yeah. Speaking towards sketches that I quote a lot, like. And also Tim's acting where he's like, you can't do that. You can't skip. Are you allowed to do that? The way his brow is like furrowed when he's like, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're allowed to do that. And uh, yeah, he's just like, I've never been more tired in my life. Like he's being very quiet and subdued with it. And then like the the visual gag of the hot dog slurping up into his sleeve when someone tries to grab it. Slurps up into his mouth. You also get the callback, which doesn't come until a couple episodes later, yeah. where the, the hot dog cannon is just like, "You ever been fired from your job or something?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just it's a very again it it has like a season one feel to it. It's like office room, um, 
it just the the hot dog of it all and then like him choking on it and it switches to death metal music and uh i i i also love the joke of that it ends on which by the way another great thing about this show is sketches don't end when they're supposed to because sketch endings are usually bad so it just ends in the middle most of the time like it did in this one like he's like whose backpack is that i i almost stepped on it or i almost tripped and then like that's just the end of the sketch when that's just like a, a middle of a sketch joke it's i i love it so much who i get two picks here okay and these are my last picks right mm-hmm. okay so i know one of them for sure so my first pick is gonna be parking lot oh it's uh so it's good. it's Tim trying to pull out of a parking lot and yeah. just stuck in the middle of uh it's, parked cars and it's so just... it's like distilling the show to like its most pure form. Yeah, like he he doesn't know how to drive and yeah. the other guys like honking, like, hey, do you even know well, how to drive? Any of this like, shit no, 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 I don't I'm scared. <laughs> Ow. He keeps beeping the horn. Freaking <laughs> yeah, he out. touches the it, yeah, it's it's very like distilled. I think you should leave. You know, it's almost like the door sketch, the intro of the whole show. Yeah, yeah. Pull, pull when you should. Yeah, push it's or crazy simple. It's like really, really short, and there's only two characters. Exactly. It's so simple. It's God. Like I don't even know what this is. <laughs> He's like crying. Yeah, a lot of crying from Tim here. He's a good crier. He's a good crier. <laughs> uh. So for my second one, oh man, so many of my favorite ones have been taken already. So I gotta. I'm looking at my list. There's just so much on the board. Like I'm scared of just what's gonna get left here. I think I have to go. Hmm. I honestly. This might fall to the side as one of like the more forgotten ones of the season, but we already brought it up, but I love the Capitol room, mm-hmm. the shark Capital tank parody. Like I've been watching so much shark tank recently <laughs> that this is such like a nice kind of razor sharp critique <laughs> of when they make it about the sharks themselves yeah. and not about the I can't stop drinking wine. I'm scared of how much I need wine. My um, pee is purple. It's Can also very toilet. It's, I feel like it's purple. Purple and black. <laughs> purple and black. I also I like very, very good genre parody. Like like you said, like the intro sequence. Um, the other like I like the the little shots of the other people where like the you know one of the sharks is like reaching out and grabbing an equation that's like floating in the air <laughs> like it that's like very effective also that is like the best alternate title for Shark Tank is the Capital, Capital Room, room. Yeah, yeah like that's what you, another name you would pitch like they did a really it, they did a good job and and that Patty yeah Hyde. that girl you just said her name uh, earlier what was it Patty Harrison. Yes, she yeah. is like the number two to Tim in this yeah, that's, whole thing. That's what I'm saying. She she's could be so in every app. She's so fucking good in every single sketch. Going back to season one, she was incredible. Yeah. The the Santa, you saying Santa won't come this year? Yeah. Oh, Santa came early. 
are we even gonna get anything now <laughs> she's, she's so good she's the best uh yeah she was in like my my comedian spotlight segment like three years ago or whatever because like I don't really know what her vehicle will be, but I know that she needs to be like famous. Maybe she'll just keep getting more and more time on this show. Like season three, she'll have like full sketches again that are just her. Oh, I love him. Um, well, this means that my sleeper that I, this is one of my favorite sketches, like in the whole show's history. And I think it'll never get enough credit because it's it's unsettling and it's like deeply weird and it's fucked up and Tim is not in it at all. Take. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Tammy Craps. Dude, Tammy Craps, Julia Butters. Yes, go. the fucking little girl Julia Butters is. This is the the main girl in this sketch. Uh, is <laughs> it's the girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who I we all like lauded her so much when we reviewed that movie. She's incredible in this fucking sketch. This sketch. This is another sketch that like. You can see the SNL, another SNL go-to back in the day was a doll commercial parody. So you see the DNA, but like I said earlier with the different one, this like skips the next four steps. Like, and then it does it again. And then it does it again. Um, Like it immediately becomes a weird fucking doll. Usually that's what the whole SNL sketch would be. It's like, oh, it's a doll that, that shits. Isn't that weird? But they immediately delve into the fact that there was like a guy at the factory who was like farting in all the dolls or something, which is already weird as fuck. And then it gets into how you have to be a certain weight. You have to be 60 LBs. 62 LBs. Yeah. They keep saying LBs. LBs are you? (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise you won't be able to process the chemicals. Yeah. You won't be able to handle the low, low dose dose of poison that's in each of these dolls. It's, it's like, uh, it's like smoking. It's the equivalent of smoking five (laughs) Macanudo cigars. Macanudo cigars. It goes to so many directions. it's unbelievable. And like, and then, it, you know, you get this segment where this little girl is like stuffing rocks into her pockets to like increase her weight. <laughs> and she like, like it, it, this is a sketch that goes in, I'd say, four different areas that I would never have guessed, especially ending on Julia Butters, um, basically just plugging Macanudo cigars. <laughs> yeah, just instant ad for Macanudos. Yeah. Like, how did we get here <laughs> in like three minutes? It's like a, ma- it's a master. It's something that you would see on like adult swim. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. It, yeah. it, it like makes you feel weird. Um, it is, it's like masterful absurdism. It is so well executed. And I, yeah, I, I cannot get enough of that sketch. It's so fucking uh, off kilter. Like even expecting absurdism, it takes you to directions that like, you couldn't be able to predict, which is hard to do at this point with the show because you expect anything at this point, you know? Mm. So yeah, that's my, that's my sleeper. One of my faves ever. I, right, Hunter, that bring one was us on home. my list. Um, it's tough only having one more pick. Cause I still have a few more, just to shout out a couple other ones, the space restaurant with Tim Heidecker. That mm-hmm. sketch is so good. I fucking love that. The way that that sketch progresses to like her mom used to, uh, drink shit in order to pay the bills for them to survive do you think that's fucking boring are we boring you um 
So good. Detective Crashmore, specifically the callback to it when they were at the yeah, AOL. That's uh, the thing. It's it's really all the yeah, the interview with AOL Crush or whatever it is. AOL, yeah, because the the trailer itself is like okay, but it's the callback to it is just like, do you know how much I got paid to make this film? Two mil. You know why? Because <laughs> then the next time I make a film, I can make two more mil, even if I do a bad job. <laughs> even if I do a bad job. Sort of this cosmic gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmic gumbo is one of the funniest things of the year. I like that. That could have been picked easily. Uh, the Claire sketch, which we mentioned. Um, yeah. The, we didn't talk about the Johnny Carson impersonator. Yeah, that's which a is great one. So good that at that price, they can hit. They can hit. They can hit. <laughs> just all these old men who just like can't help themselves but to also, hit everybody. The fact that the Johnny Carson impersonator, all they does is. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's all he did. Like, it's not. That's it. That's all the giant cross impersonator. But at that price, he can hit. The George yeah. W. Bush impersonator comes in. <laughs> um, so good. Uh, my, Brandon, Brandon Wardell's in that sketch too. Yeah, yeah. yeah also, Brandon great. Wardell. Just Tib, just being the handler for these impersonators. Yeah. Like that's such a great role for him. <laughs> you can't hit. You can't hit. <laughs> um. My last one, though, is one that we mentioned earlier. It's the insider trading trial with Brian's stupid hat. Yeah. Um, I just keep thinking, because the way that it's set up, you know, this is another one that could be yeah. an SNL sketch. Courtroom court is an SNL thing. Classroom is an SNL thing. Like Courtroom, but a callback to something else. This all could be an SNL sketch, but it would be so much worse as yeah. an SNL sketch. Like, I can't imagine how flat this would fall if this was an SNL sketch, just because it's the way that progresses we talked about the dice but i also just think about him at the end towards the end of the sketch where he's just like and then we went to the meeting and brian the manager asked brian to take off his hat because it was distracting he said you can't do that and he took off the hat and he put his head down he kept mumbling to himself you can't do that you can't fucking do that you can't do that he puts the hat back on he said the man at the store told me i was the only person he's ever seen pull off this hat uh, yeah, and, the, and then the, he tries to roll the hat down, and it gets stuck. The flap gets stuck on the man's wheelchair, and then it gets the wheelchair grease on it. And the Amazing. dice, of course, like the yeah, it, it's it's a it, yeah, it is a really really solid sketch. I also, also love the way that it ends, where they're just like, uh, and he's just like, and then Brian he stormed out of the room, and he said, "Move to Julie," and then he realized that he might have gone too far, so he says, "Who says that?" <laughs> 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 and at that point it flashes back and he kicks the dice towards the other person he's like we fucking stop one one okay. sketch that it unrolls ah. itself very predictably but i i still love it is the the surf the surfing office sketch where they're in the oh, office yeah. because Jelly. <laughs> yeah a it ends on a note that is in the middle of the sketch which i love and then b uh it's already like it's really weird how far everyone is taking this little office bit of surfing where <laughs> like the guys he's spinning chairs he's like oh look at these whirlpools <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> it's i almost killed myself julie yeah <laughs> she got him chode pants what is your um, pick though he already oh, picked no, it's, it it's, it's, it's the courtroom it's the courtroom. Oh, courtroom okay that's it that's great that's the one. God, there's still so much. This season's perfect, guys. This is the best season of television that I've seen of the year. Like, this is one of the funniest things I've seen. Probably the funniest thing I've seen on TV since season one of this show. Like, there's mm -hmm. no 
comedy on air right now that matches this and just the amount of sheer joy that this show brings me every time that i watch it yeah because it's 100 percent unadulterated like it, no it's one unadulterated. It, like because the thing is that you can feel that like I've said that I've seen this show, like I've watched through this season like five or six times. That's because the show, nothing about like ages badly. Like you don't get sick of anything while you're watching through this show because there's so many nuanced details to every single sketch that he makes. So So just to recap real quick, I picked Coffin Flop, Cal Coco Pants, Mall Prank Guy, Parking Lot, and Capital Room. And then Drew picked Dan Flash's Ghost Tour, Tables, Hot Dog, and Tammy Craps. And then Hunter got Diner Car Guy, Sloppy Steaks, which I hate you for. I wanted that one. You should have just taken it first. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, I thought that that or dinner, Dan Flash was going to go number one, to be honest. Dinner but, with Professor, yeah. Jamie Taco, and Courtroom. Mm. Yeah. So that's a really great top 15 of season two of I think you should leave. I think mm-hmm. we did a great job of rounding out all the good stuff. What a great season. So funny. I think that one of the best things about it for me is just like, even if in my opinion, it's not a hundred percent hit rate overall, he's going for it every time. Like every idea evolves to a point that is so far removed from what you think that idea could go. Like he takes it to a level where most people couldn't dream of thinking like that's something that you should do on television. Well, And that's why uh, it was very, it was very uh, satisfying to see Bob Odenkirk get the cameo because Mr. Show, if you haven't done a deep dive into Mr. Show with Bob and David from HBO, that's the first sketch show that did exactly what you just said. We're, sketches delve off into directions and areas that you would never be able to predict. Um, It's in like the style is drastically different, obviously, but they, they do share a good amount of DNA um, because that show informed the sense of humor of anyone who's worked in sketch, you know, for the last like 15 years. Yeah. Doubles is good. Triples is best. Mm -hmm. Triples, Triples is safe. Just safe. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will probably have another one of these catch-up episodes for you next week with some of the stuff that we didn't get to today. And maybe we'll sprinkle in some some new stuff. You know, uh, Coda just came out on Apple TV Plus and Free Guy is now out in theaters. Um, so we have that plus, you know, more backlog stuff that we can dig into. So look out for all of that. Um, you can always email us at we bought a mic at gmail.com and follow us at we bought a mic on social media and please rate review and subscribe and recommend the show and donate. If you're able to thank you to all you beautiful donors for donating. Um, and yeah, any final thoughts, boys? Uh, actually zero. I don't have any thoughts left. This was a watch. I think you should leave. The show's perfect. It's better than literally everything else that we talked about this episode. Yeah. We're not the first people on the internet to note this, but it actually is good. If I was going to power rank the things that we've talked about this whole episode, be, I think you should leave tanked tank bar rescue. rescue. Um, Um, 
the Godfather. We mentioned that earlier. We did mention that Godfather. Um, F9. Buy your kid a Tammy Craps doll, but only if they're uh, if LBs. they weigh more than 62 lbs. Make sure that you check your daughters for rocks for pockets before you buy them a Tammy Craps doll. Also, you gotta give. You gotta give. CalicoClubPants.com. You okay. gotta give. It only works if you give. You gotta give. give. To we bought a mic. You gotta give. Oh, Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.